Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who are you? We're the Monster Squad. You're not a virgin, are you? No? No, what do you mean, no? Well, Steve, but he doesn't count! Doesn't count! It's okay, you guys. He's friends with us. Come on, don't be chicken shit. My name is Horace. Gary German guy's bitching. Kick him in the north! He just hit a Do it, do it! From Renegade, Vanessa, you are here again as a oft guest. You are you're our Georgia ghoul. She, I am she, the Georgia ghoul. <laughs> we have let her out once again from behind the ficus. Mm-hmm. Yes, she is coming to party with us again, and and once again has brought a friend with her. Oh my gosh, <sighs> Vanessa, please do us the honor of introducing Andre because I just I am so starstruck as well. So <laughs> I mean, I can't take credit for this. He's just awesome. Uh, yeah, we're Andre Gower from uh, Monster Squad is here to chat with us about movies and 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 other fun stuff. Welcome. Oh my gosh! Uh, th- thanks for having me. So far, this is uh, it, so far it's been fun. So like, it can only get better. Oh, <laughs> oh I don't speak too soon. <laughs> <laughs> we might have peaked. Uh, yeah, I think. In the intro, we yeah, it was the pre- yeah. It's, it's all downhill from here. Yeah. Sto- just, story of my life. Story yeah. of my life. <laughs> I was just gonna say, just like my real life, I peaked at the beginning. Well, Andre, thank you so much. Sean is literally one of our all-time favorite characters in horror, and also we adore Wolfman's Got Nards. It's an incredible documentary. It gave me all the feels in all the best ways. Yeah, it, it's just an amazing. It's amazing homage to the film and to what you guys created. And also, it I liked it because it kind of tackled all of the things you always wanted to know and kind of always wanted to kind of explore about Monster Squad. But let's let's start at the beginning here. Let's give Jackie the chance to to gush. Thank you for Monster Squad for <laughs> all of the kids like us who grew up as complete misfits and wanted to be in the Monster Squad because we had very little else. Uh, I just, I wanted to say, I really appreciate it. Vanessa and I were talking about this, actually, how we just kind of spent our childhood watching films like this and kind of imagining a place for us in a very, you know, not often yeah. accepting world. Yeah, I I grew up, I was the Phoebe, older brother, um, just all of his friends constantly just wanting to do whatever my brother did, do, you know, what they were doing, liking what he liked. So that movie 
it resonated with me in the, I was the weird kid that liked the universal movies, the universal monster movies, but also, you know, here's, here's my big brother and I'm going to do everything that he does. And I was, I was happily the Phoebe and to, to see her character, there was just the connection of like, okay, okay. Little girl can save the day. I mean, you guys did great. I mean, let's not take it away from you guys. You guys did <laughs> you guys great. Were okay. but yeah. No, well, let, let's, be, let's be honest. In a 1987 movie about a group of young misfit boys, the hero of the story is the five-year-old girl. I know. You uh, in, in more ways than one. She's, she, she steps up. She is not chicken shit. And she <laughs> is the one that has the, the, the ability and the guts, uh, to literally save the world from Dracula and his minions. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the Nards, uh, if you it, will. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's right. <laughs> she does. She has them. And that's why you say what you will, but I will die on the hill that this film is incredibly feminist in that way, in that a, not only a girl, but a little vulnerable girl, which mm-hmm. is, is something still so rare and so exciting to see. I wish I was cool enough to say I was a Phoebe. I was a total mix between like Horace and Eugene. Like, I love that you're like, oh, I was a Phoebe. Like, that's like being like, I'm talking about the Breakfast Squad and saying you were an Ali Sheedy. Of course, that's cool, man. I was a, I was the nerd. Like, I, yeah. you know, like, I wasn't a Sean. Like, I wear my Stephen King rule shirt. I wasn't even that cool as a kid. So, I mean, I just, I really love these characters and that they were kind of really fun tropes for kids who grew up on the, on the outskirts. Vanessa, who are you? I mean, I think part of me always wanted to be as cool as Rudy, but I think I know my place. Uh, I was not that cool. (laughs) Um, I probably had the sensibilities of Sean, but again, not as, not as, Cool. I don't know. I would have. I would have been the character that that got cut from the script. <laughs> was, was the one member that was like, oh, no. But um, just go with yeah. Patrick. Just take Patrick. I, I'll take Patrick. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> now, Andre, it's just us friends. Who were you really as a kid? Which of these characters is, or were you a Sean in real life? Um, you know, and, and that's sort of such a great w- w- question. Number one, to get it, you know turn around and it's something that we've you know talked about and laughed about and discussed before um i don't know if you gals know you know leading i never auditioned for the role of sean i didn't Uh, know that all all of my auditioning and and screen testing and all that was for rudy and because my body of work and most, you know, a bunch of TV work leading up to that summer of 86 when we were casting Monster Squad was the cool kid with the great hair and, you know, probably a leather jacket and, you know, a lot of hair product and just kind of had this, <laughs> uh, you know, pers- this kind of character. So as those breakdowns come through past the agents and all that, they're like, oh, that's an Andre role. Go read for that. And I did. And what's interesting is I go, and I mean, I did it. I remember it vividly. Um, you know, I, I remember the two audition scenes, you know, that we read constantly for Rudy and I, I you know, I, I went all the way through multiple screen tests and then it's radio silence for a couple of weeks. And then the, the phone rings and it's your agent and says, Hey, that movie you read for a couple of weeks ago, which could be one of 10, <laughs> you know, you, you know, cause you're auditioning constantly. Uh, they said, you, um, you got cast and you're like, Oh, which one? And they're like, Oh, the monster movie. And you're like, Oh, cool. And like, and they said, but not the role that you read for. And usually that is 
bad news. Mm. Right. Because uh, usually they like you, but someone else came in and did, and you get a smaller role or, you know, maybe like a day. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, am I EJ now? What's um, but, and I was like, no. And they're like, no, 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 it's good news. They cast you as the lead. And I was like, no. <laughs> Rudy's that's the cool character. He's the one that's, you know, kills more monsters. He's cool. He shoots more weapons. Like he gets the girl at the end. Yeah. He does get the girl at the end. Um, it's in the script. And uh, <laughs> that we just, we never shot it, but Ryan will always tell that story. And <laughs> I, I know why. And, he, and here's what's interesting. Did I read Rudy well? Yes. That's why I kept getting called back. Could I have played Rudy in the movie? Sure. I would have been sort of probably a little, you know, kind of more cliche kind of LA Valley kid kind of Rudy uh, that mm. was playing this kind of super cool role. It's like, you know, it's James Dean on a bike, you know, and I think that's what it said in the script. And I know who James Dean is and I know all these cool characters that they're trying to emulate. Um, I think I probably would have done that with my own kind of internal, you know, kind of guidance on that. But I know why I didn't get Rudy. It's because Ryan Lambert came in and murdered his auditions and became Rudy in that moment. And that's what happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we've told, Ryan tells that story and I love hearing, you know, it's a, it's a great thing. Now I'm very fortunate to, for some reason, over those interim couple of weeks that someone in the group, be it Penny Perry, the casting director or Peter Himes, you know, Shane Black, Fred Decker, whatever, when they're trying to figure out who's going to be Sean, the leader of the squad, uh, and look, everybody in town read for every role of this movie, including people from out of town. And that's why Seth Green is in the documentary because he screen tested for Patrick. And I had to spend like a- you. I, I was to, wondering yeah. that. <laughs> uh, he mentions it. We actually cut out like the, like the very spoon-fed exposition uh, for time's sake. But yeah, he came to town and auditioned and I had to like go and spend the day with him and go to like the mall and see a movie or something. And uh, it came down to him and Robbie Kiger. But, but fortunately, that was like the third time Seth had been in town for screen tests and then his family decided to move to LA and stay. Uh, and so that's why it's such a good connection because we're all lucky for it because he stayed in town and became Seth Green. So, uh, <laughs> and, we're all, and, and we're all better for it. Um, but someone in that room said, hey, remember that kid we read for Rudy, Andre something. <laughs> I mean, I, I, Penny Perry knew me, but he's like, could, I don't know who said this, but someone said, is he our Sean? And I still don't know how that came to pass. I've never actually had that conversation with Fred because I, I think it's kind of selfish. <laughs> or like, well, what the hell happened that day? Yeah. And yeah. it just seems weird. And it seems weird, but um, I, I'm very fortunate that someone thought of that. And then I had to go in and show up and rehearse and do fittings. And, you know, of course, none of these clothes fit. Uh, they chopped off all my awesome hair and gave me a really dorky haircut. And <laughs> what? Um, well, look, because you go back prior to Monster Squad, look at all of yeah. my stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I had great hair, and um, <laughs> I, I don't have much anymore today. But it's, uh, it's I, still, I still I still try. Still great. Um, but yeah, so to get around to ask you a question, that was a little of the preamble to, you know, who I, you know, who I probably was. And my point of that backstory is I think everybody ended up exactly where they were supposed to be. Uh, and that doesn't yeah. always happen in movies, but sometimes it does. And I think, I think it did here. And am I truly genuinely the kind of, you know, badass greaser kind of cool kid? 
Probably not. <laughs> am, am I, am I the, you know, kind of development minded, creative, insufferable know-it-all that will tell a bunch of people how to do stuff? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, well, we like have I said, I think, I think everybody ended up in that, um, in, in the right spots. Uh, but look, uh, I've also been Phoebe you know, <laughs> in my life, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, whether it's reversed with my older sister or out with older friends or, and we've also, I've also been the Horace and I've been the Patrick who just brought the business cards. And, well, and I, I think maybe that's why this movie and movies like this, when you have an ensemble cast of, of kids, you know, why audiences relate to it so much, because we've all had moments in our lives where we've all been the Horace, we've all been the Sean, we've all been the Rudy, we've, you know, had it. it and, and I think that's why it resonates with so many people. I mean, you can absolutely relate to all of those moments and what's going on in their lives and the experiences that they're having. Uh, I, you're, you're exactly right. And those conversations weren't happening, you know, for years, even in right. the beginning of the resurgence, um, it, it took people, you know, this is why I love this movie and this is why I connected. And it's because I was Horace or I always wanted to be Rudy, but I was really Patrick or, you know, Jackie being like, I was, Phoebe, you know, I was definitely Phoebe. And when I saw Phoebe on screen, I was like, that's me. Mm-hmm. And then I think kids as a whole in their neighborhood or in their cul-de-sacs or in the schoolyard, you know, if they ever actually saw it, because not very many people saw this movie, <laughs> um, said, that's us. That's that's me and that's my pals. And I, I, I dig this story and I'm going to rent it every weekend and, yeah. and watch it constantly and constantly. Uh, and then I'm going to tell everybody else that they have to watch it to the point everybody tells me to go away, please quit telling me to watch this movie. Yeah. Um, and but we started running into that over the years after 2006, 2007, when it really kind of started to, you know, go nuclear uh, on the resurgence. And these stories were amazing to start hearing, even at that early time. And mm-hmm. I, myself, and we as a collective, we didn't understand at that time what those were. It took a couple of years Uh, to realize that those stories were actually really, really important. Well, yeah. I mean, looking at 80s horror and and the kids in them, it wasn't easy to find yourself on screen. I don't want to speak for all horror fans, but a lot of us were kind of misfit toys in that way. So when you looked at the super hot popular kids at the party who were getting slain, you know, in the dozens, that never was a connection for me. I was more connected to the monsters probably than I was ever to the characters themselves. Oh, yeah. You know, and, yeah, and for sure. I wasn't invited to the cool party. <laughs> That's why I was like, they they got what they deserved. Like yeah. I was always like, you know, like you know, little me sitting home laughing at them. So it was this, and it's so funny to like think of the experience that you guys went through. And I think this is why Wolfman's Got Nards is such a profound documentary because growing up in the horror bubble, the horror world, in our heads, you guys are the titans of, of horror, you know what I mean? So like watching the very, like, and and we talked about this a little bit when we were watching the documentary, watching like Fred and everybody else kind of react to their experience with the film is such a moving and profound experience because, you, you know, it's like watching your heroes and, and, you know, kind of deal with their own legacy in such a profound way that I think really I haven't seen in many documentaries. And, and I just think it's such a testament to you guys as the filmmakers, because it's such a amazing vulnerability where you guys were our heroes as the little misfit kids growing up in New Jersey or in the, you know, wherever. And yet, meanwhile, in, in the world that 
existed outside of the horror bubble. It was such a different tale. And I was so glad to get that perspective. And I don't know if you guys kind of had that experience too with watching the documentary and kind of almost being humbled by it. And then looking at the 80s horror and being like, nah, man, like this spoke in a way that nothing else did. Even Lost Boys, dude, those guys weren't talking to me on the beach. They wouldn't even have killed. I wasn't even cool enough to be a kill for them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, no. I, I, yeah. Not getting I bitten by those guys. <laughs> and I don't mean to bring up, you know, the other film, but it's just so true. Like that, like as cool as it was, it never was something I connected with in any meaningful way. But yeah, and it's hard to relate to Lost Boys. And <laughs> I think, you know, real quick, you know, with Monster Squad, with the characters, with the character, the situations that the characters in as a group and as individuals and as a family, like you said earlier, everybody related to somebody, or if not more than one person, other than the killer or the or the actual <laughs> monsters. Right. Um, and, you know, everybody always asks me, like, why did this, why do I feel this way? Why did this movie work? Or, you know, interviewers are like, why, why is that? And I think it comes down to, I've, I've, I've distilled it down to two words, and it's heart and authenticity. Mm. And whereas Lost Boys, fun tale, it's fantastical, though. Um, you know, yeah, our movie's a f- fantasy because there's monsters with supernatural power you know so to speak dracula does but the kids themselves it's a whole other half of the characters in the movie and it's it's authentic and it has heart and everybody connected to that and it was a little bit dark it was a little bit dangerous it was fun uh there's not a lot of camp in monster squad you know the jokes are you know on ourselves and between ourselves Mm -hmm. and I, i think that's everybody's like yeah this rep this this gets me. Uh, even if they didn't know it when they were 12, they realized it for sure later. <laughs> well, and I just think within horror itself, because I mean, I think there's across cinema, there's a lot of kind of coming of age films with a group of friends having an experience, a shared experience. But within horror, there's not a lot of those. And I, I feel like Monster Squad was kind of really the, the, the first one to like be on the map. And even though it, it kind of was a late bloomer, you know, expl- it, it, I think it kind of did for horror what like the John Hughes movies did for kind of general teenagers in, in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you, you've, again, like, like you said, you know, there is this kind of fantastical supernatural element to it, but that's plopped into a very real life situation. That is everybody's neighborhood or neighborhood that they know of somewhere nearby these are all kids that either you're one of them or you go to school with them you know there was something very real about that and i think if monster squad was made in the 90s it would have been the same characters they like the same stuff they do the same geek outs they meet in the treehouse you know the same pesky you know problems that they have and they'd still be experts on monsters, but this would be a total 90s indie movie. And there would actually be no monsters. It would just still be these kids in the neighborhood <laughs> trying to convince yeah. the world that, that these monsters exist. Yeah. And that could be a cool movie too, which I think, you know, we've seen sometimes, but it really was, you know, kind of interesting because it was such a, a, a blending of current time, which is ancient now, you know, of late <laughs> 80s, uh, mixed with, you know, with kind of this old storytelling with the classic monsters. Uh, but, you know, really it was, you know, it came, we talk about this stuff like in such deep context now and con and con, you know, conceptual ideas, which is fascinating. And that's why the conversations are, are good. Uh, even after all this time, but the monster squad started out as an idea. And Fred Decker said, what would it look like if the little rascals fought the universal monsters? (laughs) Yeah. 
It's and just a it's good story. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that's... it's called the Monster Squad. So yeah. it's uh, that started like in '85 on campus of UCLA with you know a, a kid who grew up watching way too much television and TV, like <laughs> like Fred did, and his buddy Shane, who was in town to be an actor writing his first screenplay. <laughs> but I think that's how the best movies come about. You hear those stories where it's like a couple of friends around and they're like, what if, Yeah. what if sure. this happened? And yeah, then they start the writing it down and it's like, yeah. well, now you've got, now you've made history. Now you're, you've got a chunk of, you know, pop culture, if you will, you know, it's yours. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think what's interesting with Monster Squad itself as not just the story, but also the movie itself uh, its success was is is measured completely differently than just box office because the box office mm. was not a success it was abject right. failure abject bomb like just kaboom and that's you know we discussed that in the doc you know a little bit why you know some marketing campaigns some weird stuff um, I agree I think it was marketing I don't think it was marketed right no it wasn't and um, I, I even said that, that when I was poster. fourteen I was like what is happening. <laughs> And, but I think what's interesting is the success of Monster Squad is measured in my mind on the impact that it had on people. Yeah. Not on an industry. Yeah. The impact it had on the people changed the industry. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, And it still has an effect on it um, because of the era and everybody's, you know, kind of nostalgic and all this, but not even in the nostalgia thing, it was the creature, the the creature effects guys changed the game at that time mm. during 86, mm-hmm. 87, 88, the Stanley sure. crew, all those guys. Oh gosh, now yeah. that's how everything's done. They invented it as they went along. Yeah. Uh, the stories, um, you know, what Monster Squad swung for, you know, with what it was looking at. Uh, and look, I, it's such a short movie and we shot off such a short script. There's so much more deeper there in this background with how knowledgeable these kids are, the parent situation, the family yeah. breaking up, a Holocaust reference, you know, like two funny guys in an airplane making jokes. I'm like, there's so much going on in this movie mm-hmm. that we don't really get to. And, and most of the stuff that is missing in the final cut is all the stuff in the cold open, uh, yeah. which explains a lot. And it was just so big and grandiose and um, they yeah. only shot some of it, but we don't see any of it. And like and- things like Stranger Things don't exist today without you guys paving that trail, dare I say. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those those kinds of trope of like the kids who we don't, they're not dumbed down and they're dealing with all kinds of real issues. Cause that's one of, one of the most amazing things, right? Like the whole, like all of those little nuggets of adult issues that kids are dealing with that nobody wants to talk about are in this film before it was trendy to do so in my, at least in my opinion, like the divorce scenes were always so poignant and like the, the Holocaust reference, like all that kind of stuff is so subtle and so quick, but it's there and it's so much fun and so much meat on the bones to kind of unpack as we go through and we become so critical of, of horror history you know oh, no yeah doubt. and it, it, yeah those little things add up and they start conversations and ask questions and i think a lot of kids did that uh whether they did it with their friends or their parents or uh, just you know went and reached for the encyclopedia and was like what does this mean <laughs> well and you mentioned it too how it was so authentic and i think that's part of it like none of these films ever tried to pander to anybody and you know there was this idea that you know i think at least from a kid's point of view, you, you always feel like your parents are always kind of pandering to the kids are like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, you know, and, and this really was through the lens of the kids, you know, they had to band together, they couldn't rely on the adults, because nobody believed them, who's going to believe there's monsters, you know, or whatever the film may be, who's going to believe that there's, you know, insert thing here. So, right. you know, there was this sense of, um, 
empowered is not the right word. I don't think. But, it's close though. I know. I know you were. Ser- I'm searching for it too. Yeah. I know yeah. Exactly like you, you've you've you had to rely on yourself. You had to rely on your friends. You had to believe in yourself, and you had to like prove yourself that like I can't rely on the grownups who are either yeah, not trustworthy. No one's going to give me the answer. You know, no yeah. one's going to solve the problem for me. And uh, it maybe maybe it's initiative. You know, it, it, these kids had to take the initiative on their own. Yeah. And join up as a group because yeah. no one could have no one could have done it individually. The autonomy and they, too. They I all mean. had their thing. And how good does that, that feel? Other. Like you get to the end of the film, like as an audience member, and you're just like, oh, who doesn't want to be a part of that squad now? Look what they just did. <laughs> right. And I think we we've missed out on that over the last probably two decades or so with stories with kids. Okay. Uh, I think but it's so. also a reflection of our current culture. And I, you know. Look, I am honestly a card carrying member of my demographic now. And I'm, you know, I'm like, get off. I'm in the bottom half of get off my lawn. Same. But, <laughs> Same um, you know, there's like, there's a, uh, I, I don't think uh, kids have that autonomy anymore. Uh, I don't think they have that. Um, it's okay to take initiative and solve problems uh, because it's supposed to be told to me what to do or how to do That's something so true. instead of figuring it out. And then also it's a culture I was, I did a podcast the other day and we were talking about uh, gaming and I'm not a big gamer, uh, even though I'm actually, um, I have been accused of being the reason uh, that Atari went under Um, (laughs) uh, because I was the kid in the ET Atari commercial. So, uh, yeah, right. So I'm just the kid in the commercial. I didn't tank a corporation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't have that kind of power, right? One of the main things that when we were talking about gaming, I was like, I remember games. I was never great at them. I enjoyed them and I played them (laughs) a long time until I was not, you know, until I was bored with them. And I never really finished a lot of games. Like it was hard to get through Mario. It was hard to get through Donkey Kong. It was hard to get through Predator uh, or Pitfall, you know, things like that. And, uh, but then now he's like, oh, just get the cheat code. Like, yeah. What? Can't do that. No. That was the point of a cheat code. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like well, then someone, but see, we've gone beyond those sort of nineties, early aughts mm-hmm. with cheat codes. Now, yeah, this, is my, the, this is my get off my lawn is the now the kids don't even play the game. They watch other people play the game. Right. And I'm like, I don't understand any of this. And I'm probably not supposed to. Okay. So no. I'm staying I, out of it. I have to come to defense of that. Oh, uh, here we uh, go. And God. now, granted, <laughs> I mean, your demographic. I'm in my 40s. so Which I'm is why it blows my mind that you watch these videos of people playing video games. Like, <laughs> so exactly. it's, entertaining. it's entertaining. Here's my defense is that at this point, I'm a grown ass woman with a you know boring job. I've, I have to do all my adult things and I don't have time or energy to stay up that late and play these games. So if someone else can do it for me and you know, while, while I'm cooking dinner or while I'm doing something else, okay. I can watch, you know, Resident Evil 8 being played by someone else. I don't have to think about it. I can Excuse just enjoy me. it, but I get to experience it to a degree. Now, can I eventually go back and play it? Sure, maybe. But that's why bother? You watched it all already. <laughs> that's well, because I want the experience. Like, because I don't want to sit here and watch Do Resident, somebody play like Resident Evil. Get that's like experience? reading the book after you see the movie. Right. Well, no. My <laughs> no. thing is, I don't want to like watch the game, but then like talk about it like I've played it. Like, so I'm not going to talk about like a game like that I've played it unless I've actually tried to play it. It's right. it's it's the background. I don't have the time sure. or the energy to play it. And if someone and, else can do that for me while I'm doing something else that I have to do because I'm a grown up, that that is my defense is that I don't have the time. Totally valid. 
because you, you, you don't have to be nice to her. I don't understand that. I get it. It's halfway living vicariously through the person because you'd rather be playing the game, but you don't have the time. And but you combine activities together to at least get exposure to it and live through it a little bit with the experience of watching it be done. And at the end of the day, it's really just entertainment. You are very nice. I don't understand that. Like, I mean, if somebody's going to set up Monopoly, I'm not going to stand there next to the table and just go, oh, should have really bought that bolt. It's like people sit around and watch people play chess for hours. And I'm like, I wanted to bring something up because you had mentioned this. And Marissa actually brought this up earlier about films today being a little too safe for kids. Like we're my big gripe. (laughs) But I, I agree. And I think we're so, and I say we, I'm not including myself, but the Royal we are so concerned. I think with putting the bubble wrap on everything and I, I don't I, we didn't do that we didn't do that in the 80s like oh, right. th- we had real problems there was you know parents fight parents get divorced uh monsters you know. try to eat you it happens dude. <laughs> but I mean there were real life situations that we weren't trying to be so protective of whereas now it's like a lot of that stuff wouldn't fly I mean I think you know, even just doing the what if game with trying to remake some of these movies, if you did it now, you wouldn't be able to because you'd, you couldn't. Oh, no, you absolutely can't. Not even is it like, hey, you actually shouldn't. It's like, no, you actually cannot now, especially I mean, in the industry, it would... because there's like there's big obstacles that are, you know, concrete and rebar that you are not allowed to pass. Yeah. And we do all of that in Monster Squad. We're yeah you know riding around in an open covered jeep with no seatbelts we are uh Them's you know, the days. weapons we are stealing stuff we're blowing stuff up we're cursing um rudy smoking and drinking a beer in a yeah. house so badass um, which know, is the amazing the, tom thing the that, tom. Yes, you guys all that, end that up would, on that's... some sort of government list <laughs> Very, yeah. very, very frowned upon right you're now. on a watch and, list um, I agree. as it should be but that was real and yeah. yeah, and you can't. A lot of people. We've been in conversations and groups and panels where, um, and I've been in college classes. Uh, one of them, like where I we opened in the documentary in a college class. With yeah, kids who've never seen the Monsters one. That and scene just, made me know. very angry. By the way, those kids, I call BS. <laughs> they should all get their film degrees taken away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why uh, Mike Dillon, the professor at Cal State Fullerton, uh, shows Monster Squad instead of. Citizen Kane. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. Yeah, said, these are Amazing. these are the movies that will impact you and influence you. You can go read about the you know the other stuff about filmmaking, uh, but this is stuff that's impactful. Um, I felt oh, I've, pa- you know, I've had those conversations. You know, had those conversations of what's not cool anymore, what's really bad about it, and we started. I mean, literally in the very first event that we ever did at 2006, the screening at Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas, that started all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we had our first question that came up like that, and it was uh, it was a race related question. And white movie, right? no, none of us. The yeah. question was to Fred in you know a a, a cast Q and A after a screening of something that no one's seen for 20 years on the screen, and someone asked. So how do you feel about writing a movie that kills the only black character and blows up in a car? And Fred went, well, in the script, it doesn't say black guy dies here. Right. 
Uh, we actually, it was just his partner who happens to have the last name of Sapir, who is, you know, that's, that's very nonspecific. It's actually an author of um, Fred and Shane's favorite kind of short story, the Remo Williams called The, the, um, the Destroyer. And one of the authors, last name is Sapir. So Stan Shaw's character is Detective Sapir. So, which is, that's a little tidbit, super deep Monster Squad cut. But um, he was like, honestly, that's never something that anybody had ever thought about. We auditioned a ton of people for this role and Stan Shaw was the best guy for the role. And it was all sorts and all looks and all sizes and shapes. And so I don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it just wasn't it just wasn't landing. And we're like, you know what? I think we're going to get questions like this. So we should think about the impact of new audiences watching this through a different lens. Right. And it, whether it's a race lens or a, uh, you know, language, derogatory language lens or a feminist lens or, you know, something like that. And that's something that we knew when we were making the documentary. And Henry and I, Henry McComas, my, my main guy, you can follow him at, at H. Dilla, um, awesome guy. And we sat around and talked about how we would address this, should we, one, and how we would. And we said, you know what? We're going to open with it. It's, it's so, true. You guys slap did. it. Yeah, you do. You hit it right on the head at the beginning. And I love the answer of it was, it was at the time, it was nothing we blinked at. And it's true. I mean, I'm a person of color and I grew up just kind of knowing that that representation wasn't going to be there. I grew up in the early eighties and you know, like it wasn't even in our minds to think, Hey, you know, it kind of sucks to know what on screen looks like us. It was just, and it's wonderful right. that these conversations are happening now. I mean, I, I engulf myself in feminist theory now, but I don't think it's, I think to handle it, to acknowledge it and move on is such a perfect way to handle it because yeah. you can't, you know, like we can't apply the lens and the expectations of today to, you know, I, I always think it's like 10 years ago when I talk about the mid eighties, I'm like, you know, five years ago, but <laughs> turns out there's a lot of math I got to do there, but like, it's just not fair, but it's there. And it's fair for the kids today, the kids today, me yelling on the lawn now too, to kind of hold us to pointing out those moments or kind of clutching their pearls at it. But then I think they have to also take in mind that it was a different, like, I hate to be so cliche, but it really was a different time, right? Like, well, you could yeah, say that about every generation. I mean, if you look at films throughout the last hundred plus years, I mean, right. there's definitely. Well, if you take a group that, you know, that currently today that we're having conversations about that shouldn't that, that we should not do this or this should be handled a different way or this is our own way to do it most of the time in film uh those uh those negative things are being handled as the cautionary tales like we're showing you that you shouldn't actually do this and if people actually watch movies the right way like oh that's actually what they're doing here um and a lot of movies that you don't realize are doing even from you know 50s and 60s are doing that um but someone somewhere can find something wrong with anything oh, and if yeah. that's the case then just let's go back to next last monday and just delete everything that's ever been made it's fair and then yeah. that's where we are yeah but if we're keeping it you have we have to be able to have uh rational and reasoned conversations about it and understand and be able to accept that yeah that what that was that representation was shitty right. or that representation was shitty but you know it was on purpose and this is what we're actually being told here Right. Uh, and a lot of movies have done that over time. 
Um, and th those are fun to watch now, you know, in a different lens. We, I just happen to be in a, in a unique situation because I'm in the middle of one of those, you know, I, I'm in the middle of those conversations as, you know, people ask us, how, how did you feel at the time? And, you know, being so mean to your friends and saying these awful words, I was like, uh, two, two actually answers to that question is one, um, this didn't seem that different than how kids talk if I walk outside of the studio and two, I'm just the hired kid to say the words on a page. <laughs> right. yeah. Literally. I don't have anything to be like, I don't want to say this. Even if I knew I didn't like, that's your job as an, you know, it's really your job as an actor to say it. And then we get into whole conversations like, well, where do writers, you know, are the writers the ones getting off on, on, on this subject matter or this language or these dialogues, um, you know, you know, not to mention, you know, people that rhyme with Tarantino, but, you know, it's like, but, you know, sometimes they're doing it for a reason. And as long, if it's bad or good or indifferent, as long as you can sit around and have a reasoned discussion about it, then that's what um, to be, <laughs> to be, Hey, look at me. Uh, I went to college. Uh, that's what art <laughs> is for, <laughs> you know? Um, and I didn't go to college for this, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I think it's interesting and we, we've, we've seen and heard and asked and discussed most of everything that's going to come up with monster squad. Uh, and like I said, we had to handle it, uh, in some way, shape or form and Wolfman's got nards and really in something like a documentary, that's only 90 minutes. You can bring stuff up. You can have an entire documentary about that. Yeah. Uh, and, but what I think what we want to do is like, hey, let's set this stuff up so we can create conversations and we can talk about it further. And that's, so that's what you want. Let's, I'm going to take the safety net away a little bit here and ask you this because it's an, a, a lovely diplomatic answer. Monster squad, somebody sitting around making the monster squad of today. Do we, are we at a point where we've done ourselves in disservice because we're not going to have the, the bad language or the bullying or the, whatever we would call all of that. Or is it a, a sign of progress to think that we would consider representation in the characters? Like you'd have kids of color in the movie, you'd have, you know, sensitivity towards, but sometimes I'm, I, I, I literally stay awake at night wondering if we're doing ourselves a good thing or a bad thing and whether or not we're truly censoring ourselves to the point of, of problematic, you know, like, are we literally, cause like my daughter watched Monster Squad with me and I had, she was, she was eight and she was like, what's a virgin? And I was like, son of a Decker and crew. And like, <laughs> on the same token, I was like, dude, when I was your age, I well knew that thanks to being a kid of the eighties. And like, I'm so happy that we had these awesome place things like monster squad to have great conversations as a parent. I, I lean right in there, but there was that second that I like clutched my part, like even watching the Goonies with my kids, I was like, dude, that person just got murdered. Like I was <laughs> like, holy crap. Um, we really were desensitized. Like what do you think this is all heading? Are we so sterilized and so safe? And I'll pose this to the whole group that we're we're not doing ourselves any favors or is this all in the name of progress and it's all a good thing? I think it's important that we have progress. I think it's important that film be more representative of the culture we're in. You know, I'm, I, I run a film fest that our mission is for inclusion and visibility. So yes, I'm all for that. Do we censor it to a point where it's just vanilla constantly because you can't say this, you can't do this, we're going to offend. I mean, like, Andre, like you said, I mean, somebody's going to find something wrong with everything if they really want to. I mean, this is a subjective art form that we all participate in. 
either as a viewer consuming it or as a filmmaker. So that's my answer. (laughs) I'm not a parent, so I don't have to worry about the whole sterilized for children thing. I do agree with Vanessa on the point of, yeah, here for inclusion, here for equality, like let's have that progress. But I'm, I'm personally, like I'm the nostalgia junkie that like, I want that. I want everything that Monster Squad brought. I want everything that all of the 80s movies brought because that is like just for the example of how how the friends speak with each other I mean Marissa and I like we break each other's balls all the time like that's that's just what you do with your your closest of friends like nobody's hurting feelings or anything like that but yeah to somebody from we're also not using like racial or gender slurs either you know what I mean like well (laughs) (laughs) We're still pretty PC, like well, calling yeah. you a biatch is, I think, still relatively I, innocuous. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, think, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Like I said, I'm I'm too. For me personally, I'm too much of of I, my my nostalgia goggles never come off. No, so, you're still living in 1989. That's why. Okay. But you're fine. No, Stay there. I live in 1995. We know that I live in 1995. I'm, oh no. I'm strictly yes. Yeah. Seriously, right? Nobody chooses 1995 except yeah, Jackie. That's a ran- um, can we unpack that later? Like that's, that's a, a very yeah. specific yet random year. Can I come back and have a whole episode just on that? Yeah. I, yeah. That? yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, and I think I think both. You know everybody's right here. Uh, And I think what's interesting about something like Monster Squad and other movies of whatever time, when you become a parent, your whole lens changes anyway, Uh, which is uh, totally okay. I've had, I've had people come up to me and go, Monster Squad has been my favorite movie since I was 12 years old. I now have a five-year-old and I, we watched it again and it's a completely different movie to me. I still love it. I still love it. (laughs) but for different reasons, but it also made me look and ask and have different conversations. I think that's amazing. I think that's kind of a uh, un, unknown win for this movie, you know, to kind of carry it through, you know, cause when original fans can see it differently then it just yeah. adds to, you know, sort of it's kind of, you know, kind of power for them. I think the, um, you know, the, the, the questions it brings up and the, and the, and the, and the style and, and the language, uh, I think it's also, I don't mind it being used as an example of how we should maybe tell fun stories that are cool and fun and adventurous in a better way for today. Yeah. Uh, and that's totally, that's totally fine. And I, and I think we should, I don't think anybody should set out to make something that, you know, you know, actually causes someone pain. Yeah, uh, no, you know, that that's, I think those are like German movies or something. I think, <laughs> you know, uh, I think you, you said something interesting. I, I mean, I look at it this way. I am both a parent and a filmmaker. And my job as a parent is to decide what I'm going to let my kids see. My job as a filmmaker is not to do that. I am here to tell a story and put this art into the world for consumption. And you, the viewer, needs to make the decision as to whether you want to look at it, whether you want your kids to look at it. And if you don't think your kids should look at it, great, you made that decision, but then don't come to me and be like, I can't believe you put this on. Well, don't look at it. No, that's all fair. It's just, I, yeah, it's true. I just, I don't, I, I like to live in a world where I, when I do sit down and watch 
a film or when I do sit down to write a film, I am cognizant of all of these things. Like, I, I think it makes me a better, a better filmmaker to be like, well, not that in my real world, I would ever use these things, but like, it, I know that this shit doesn't fly anymore. And there's something very, that makes me sleep a little more soundly. Having a kid who is LGBTQ running our Renegade Film Festival, you know, being a person of color, it makes me feel better to being a woman. It makes me feel better to know these conversations are happening. I think, I really think at the end of the day, it's a win, but I, I think do that's think- the key. Yeah, that these conversations are happening, that people, you know, are are acknowledging this, and you know, you, all right, you, this this film's far too fun, and you're it's far too exciting to have such deep combo. I'm gonna ask, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call upon the one thing that broke my heart about the documentary, and that is that as the writer director, I never, I felt like I never got to hear your like we got to hear from Ryan and Fred and Shane, but like if I sat you down on that couch and I were like, dude what's this all like how is this all in your head today like is it gonna break my heart like Fred's did is it gonna make me you know like where are you at with all this if you don't mind us us getting deep for a moment no it's a good question and uh, <laughs> you know that's you know kind of what you want but then you hope no no one ever asked you, <laughs> you know, that's uh, 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 Phil- uh, you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm fine. Uh, and, and, the, and the first time this happened um it doesn't happen a lot, but the first time it happened, we were, uh, it was our second film festival at the Outlook in uh, New Orleans, at the Outlook Film Festival. And our screening was in the Fangoria Theater and Phil Noble Jr., who's the editor of Fangoria, was the kind of uh, host and moderator of the screening. And he said, Andre, I've seen your doc and we just watched it here. I, you know, we asked the same thing. You know, we've seen all these people's stories and their impact. And he goes, we didn't see yours. Like, what's your, like, what's yours? And I wasn't prepared for that. And I looked at Phil and I went, well, fuck you, Phil. <laughs> I was like, uh, thanks. Um, oh, good. I'm glad he got the fuck you. And so that way so for my, uh, oh no, yours is coming later. Um, it's, uh, I'm just going to, I'm just saving it. For all uh, fair. I'm, I'm going to make Jackie super uncomfortable somewhere, but I'm not going to force it. And then you're just getting, yeah, you're getting a good one. I, it, it happens. And my quick answer to Phil that night was, um, I don't know how to tell my story about this impact, but I think I did. Yeah, that's, that so was going to be my... The whole overall yeah. endeavor of realizing that these stories were amazing about the fans, because that's really what the doc is about. But then that grew. It, it grew into what we ended up having with, with Wolfman here. And we put so much more into it and a lot more of what I, you know, it was probably more personal than just filmmaker-y. And if you don't know how to tell your, if you, if you can't articulate your story well, uh, I think I tried to make a movie that kind of told my story of what the impact was. It's like, mm-hmm. how did this impact, how did this movie and this whole experience over since 2006 impact me? I, I, it impacted me in such a way that I created a good movie about it. All of this stuff and that's important to me instead of just my you know thing and I said, I realized my impact was opening my eyes or you know mind about the impact that this story had on so many people and how it impacted them, whether they were fans in Georgia or they were guys on the crew or the director. And if you, if you know, if you watch Wolfman's Gun Arts, no one's on camera that gives an interview sans three, like Zach Galligan and Catherine Kirby, you know, things like that, that don't really... They're not in the movie or they're never, they were just talking about fandom for a second. That's why it's kind of quick. 
But everybody else that is on camera talking in this movie was impacted in some way, shape or form by the story of the Monster Squad. Yeah. As, as a story that they saw on the screen or as the story of an experience that they worked on and were in. And that became important. And I realized that. Now, as we go deeper, it's been a couple of years since we made this thing and it's been out and people have seen it. And we've had more conversation. We opened up today that you're the, you were the misfits of your group and it, you know, you'd hit home and like you found somewhere you could connect with other people and then you connect with this movie and you still do in the same way. You know, you have a podcast called Juicy Goals, which is fantastic, by the way. And I'm all, I'm all about a punny title. Thank you. <laughs> and because uh, there really was no other title for this documentary. There is just, <laughs> no. there just isn't. It's perfect. And what I did realize that it, it actually got more personal. And if someone had actually, if someone else was making the documentary about this movie and I was in the chair getting interviewed, had I understood what I do now about it and personally and growing up, everybody thinks, oh, I was, you know, I'm just the cool kid. I was on TV. I grew up on TV and I had cool clothes and yes, I had great hair and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was in movies and I worked with all these great people and I played sports and, you know, I won trophies playing basketball and baseball and tennis. Like I had this, I mean, this great life. Did I? Absolutely. I was super fortunate even beyond, you know, just regular, I, you know, had a good child. It was amazing. But if you pluck yourself out of it, you realize that I am also a misfit because wherever I'm at, I'm different than the core of whoever's in there. If I'm on, if I'm at school in sixth grade or seventh grade, I loved school. I loved going to school all the way through college, loved school, loved my friends. I'm still in touch with friends I went to fifth grade with, you know, and because they're awesome. And these are your, these are your, this is your tribe. This is your, your peeps. Right. Yeah. And but when I'm at school, even as much as I try to just be, you know, kind of part of it, I'm always the kid that's on the TV show. So I'm not a hundred percent with these kids. And then when I'm on a movie set, I'm also the kid or, you know, just, I'm not as cool as this other group. You know, it's, it doesn't matter where you are. We all deal with the same shit and you can kind of figure that out. One of the other things that I always got is, you know, I was never 100% in one group. Like when I was in high school, I was an athlete. I had good grades and I was also on TV. I'm screwed. Even though I went to like a very small school. <laughs> yeah, it seems all great, but it's like, you don't right. fit in anywhere. You know, so half, you know, a group of my friends were the athletes and really cool and awesome people. The other group were kids that we go study with and get good grades and work on tests and projects and science experiments together. Uh, you know, and then the other ones, you know, uh, you know, like, you know, a part of the entertainment industry and, and, and know that world. And so I lived in two different worlds almost my entire life because I started working when I was five. So my path has always been sort of split, but it's been parallel and running together. And you just kind of go like this a little bit, but they're never, they're never really one. And then also, I'm never the tallest guy in the room. And so... I don't want to say I was bullied during my life because I don't feel like I was bullied, but you catch shit for not for being shorter than, you know, your average classmates. Yeah. Um, you know, for, but does being in a teen magazine or being on a TV show make up for me? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. He's not that guy to pick, you know, whatever you still get picked on. You still get comments. You know, even your close friends will give you derogatory names and you're totally fine with that. <laughs> 
Um, now, if it's coming from a third party that you don't know, that sucks. That's a little stingy. And look, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a five, six white guy and I played college basketball. You're going to get a lot of shit from opposing fans <laughs> when you are in that arena, so to speak. Oh, so, nice. I'm a high school basketball coach. It's exciting. <laughs> yes. So uh, I will come, I will, I want to come to practice. Um, oh my God, you're in. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I need a little exercise anyway, you know, even though I'm a little slower right now than I was two months oh. ago. So it's, uh, oh. With my story with Monster Squad, I feel what even the fans felt because we all do because we're all just kids in America at some point in time, no matter, you know, what you get. And, uh, but look, I was super fortunate, you know, whether you want to call it, you know, for, I was, I was never wealthy, you know, growing up as a kid, a lot of my friends were, which was awesome. <laughs> um, the only thing better than having money is friends with money. It's like, you Fair. get to do a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, like, you know, don't ever buy a boat. Just have a friend with a boat. Um, <laughs> still live by that but to this still, day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but so I understood a lot, you know, after, I, but I didn't get it until a, a few years ago. And it, it was very interesting to be like, oh, now I understand why things like this connect with kids so much because I can understand that a little bit. I just never saw it in the same kind of, in the same kind of lens because I was just me going, I just go gung-ho forward, you know, 110% hustle all the time, no matter what I'm doing. And I just kind of blow by a bunch of the BS that, you know, might affect you. And I don't let it affect me. And sometimes it affects you. Sometimes that affects you. And we all have to admit that. And we all have to know that. And we can all discuss it. And we're better for it. Um, so end of chapter. If, if Man, that that's a good sense, answer that to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. okay. So ne next segment questions, go. But I did want to, to kind of piggyback off of something that you had said, Andre, like about the tribe. And it, I think it's just a testament to the documentary because obviously Monster Squad had a huge impact on me. It is one of the first horror films I ever saw as what, I, I know I didn't see it in the theaters. Um, I think I was six. <laughs> Nobody did. <laughs> yeah, six or seven when I first saw it. And I, I like very specifically remember like, it was like, you know, Sunday afternoon, it came on, you know, local cable. And I very vividly remember watching it. Um, obviously the movie impacted me, but my, my, my thought is the testament to the documentary is just that that also has impacted me because it makes me, I don't want to say it makes me feel like I'm not alone, but like being like the Monster Squad super fan, like I was the only one, like other people like the movie and oh yeah, I love Monster Squad. It's a cool movie. I remember that movie, but like, I remember being the one in the early nineties calling all of the video stores in my county like do you guys have monster squad on vhs do you guys have monster squad on vhs and literally having to like go through the phone book and be like okay this one doesn't have it this mom and pop doesn't have it blockbuster doesn't have it and finding one like three towns over and being like mom can we please go three towns over because this store has monster squad and i remember like i had to fill out my card and i got my card and i got to rent from that store and if there were some documented record you would see that every few months my account i would go to that server like hi can i just i want to monster shit squad. jackie i don't know how to tell you yeah. this but those vcrs we owned you could record shit on there too like i don't <laughs> want to and you know what I, i'm sure oh, i'm sure right. we had it I, like i'm not sure in my house though like my, with my brother and i you record something 
it, unless my mother specifically like put like the do not record over, I probably did have Monster Squad recorded from HBO. <laughs> Gotta pull out the little tab. Right, right. Well, then, okay, right, right. But then the older brother comes through, Brian comes in, and now he's got to have WrestleMania 15 on there, and right. he's completely God. recorded over. Th- those things were not WrestleMania sacred. 15. Those, those things, tapes were not sacred in our house. Like you Jesus, fought for them. Like, if you sweet. found a tape, if mom's handwriting wasn't on it, it's fair game, you know. Like I need mm. to. So that's when you write yeah. beaches or like dirty dancing on there, and then he's scared and he doesn't record over it. Yeah. You know? Oh, I fight you if you record over my dirty dancing. Yeah. Like it was, get punched in the mouth. The, yeah. The the documentary just kind of like it just made me feel good seeing like all of these super fans come together. I remember that uh, in 2006 when the DVD finally came out. Right. Uh, my birthday that year I actually got two copies because a friend of mine worked in a video store so he got it a couple days before release so he was so excited to bring it to me before release because he got it in the video store and my other friend was so annoyed because she literally like put the print out of the receipt in the card that it's not released yet but I got you monster on DVD and she was so bummed out because my other friend already got it for me but even then like there's a special feature and it actually I'm pretty sure the special feature was a panel from Monster Mania and Cherry Hill on that first DVD and I remember watching it being like these people are just like me like these people love this movie these people quote this movie like I do and just seeing that and then with the documentary and and the fact that there was momentum for Wolfman Got Nards like the fact Mm -hmm. that the momentum was even there to make the documentary the fact that you're screening at all these different Alamos 17 cities and packed house and all these people are coming out like that impacted me just as much as the movie itself because I'm like okay so I'm not alone like I I know that I can find these people I know that you know when the guy said for the first one at Alamo when it sold out like so quickly like mm-hmm. way quick they didn't think it was going to sell out they didn't think anybody was going to show up and now it's like yeah that that's like the quickest thing that's ever sold out at Alamo like it absolutely blew my mind I remember hearing about that and being like there's no Alamo in Jersey like there is nothing even remotely close to there's us there's no basement in the Alamo what there is no basement in the Alamo <laughs> we had no draft houses and I'm like I, there was you know at that Body. time in my we life have one either you know, yeah, dude, so it, I'm Operation Get an Elbow everywhere, but that's for another day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, Bro- I just, Brooklyn, it just Brooklyn is the closest. It, it gave me two feels. It gave me that sense of home because these are my people. And it also broke my heart because yeah. anytime Fred Decker was on screen, I just wanted to hug him. Like it literally, I wrote down, <laughs> he, he, and I quote, he says in the movie, it took 16 years for me to know that people liked my movie. Like, I, I'm not one to, like, talk to the movie screen, but I was just yes, like, you Fred, are. you should have called me. Like, right. why didn't you call me? I was there. I've been there this whole time. Thank you for saying that, because I think that was sort of one of our goals with the documentary is to explain that to someone who may not know that feeling of why these people feel this way, but also as a connective something to you and to other people through the doc that oh, we see you, We're, we know you're there and we understand that now. And we want to show how really unique and rad this is. And that was sort of, you know, personally a, a big part to me. Now on the Fred stuff, I also think there's 
I wanted to make this movie because I thought it was a cool idea. And I thought all these stories that we you know, heard over the years, I thought those stories were a story. That's a kind of how I explained what the doc was. But then it grew into this much deeper and, and, and better thing, much because of the help I had with Henry and, and Wes and, and the rest of the crew that helped me make it. Because uh, I did not make this on my own <laughs> at all. Um, with the Fred thing, there, there was a little bit of, you know, for the past, you know, of those 10, 12, 13 years going to appearances, going to conventions and seeing Fred go to them and, and experience um, the fandom of Monster Squad and people celebrating it. Fred's the only person that can have the relationship with this movie that he has. He's the only one that can and the only one that should. And for years, that relationship was conflicted. He didn't know what his relationship was. He was bitter. He was, he was angry. He was mad. It kind of, you know, I, I think it's unfair uh, and this is a whole other topic about filmmaking at certain times in eras that, you know, in the 87, you have 48 hour window, to, whether your movie is a success or not. And Monster Squad needed more than that, because when you whoever saw it in the theater went to school on Monday and said, I'm going back on Saturday. You go see this <laughs> and it never got a chance for that word of mouth and it was gone. But I think a little bit of me personally, as the kid in the movie, but as the filmmaker of the doc also had seen Fred so conflicted about his relationship and acceptance of this newfound, you know, love for this movie. And we were at a screening one time. He goes, great. Where were you in 87? He's like, oh, great. You're all here now. Like, where were you? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, they're here now. And they were also there then. It was just spread out over time. And I'm starting to learn this. You haven't been exposed to a lot of this yet. And so that was very early on in the resurgence years. And I think a little of me personally, as 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 the person making and you know helming this doc with what it was, is I wanted a little bit of Fred to 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 put that bitterness and that animosity to to bed. It had controlled enough of his time with this one movie, and I, I it was it was a <laughs> we almost didn't get that interview. You know, you're, you're a big part of the day. Like we own that interview almost didn't happen. Fred was our last interview and he was very reticent about even going on camera and talking about it. I think a little bit of it was, Oh, Andre, the kid in my movie is going to make a movie about my movie. Like, <laughs> what, you know, and what was well, funny is we did some footage and like, I sent him something and he sent me notes. I was like, I don't want notes on my movie. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, and then he also said, he's like, Hey, go make your movie. I understand. Um, I'll watch it. And then I'll sit down at the end and give you what you need. I was like, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. We're, we're not doing that either. Yeah. Uh, what I really want you to do, I want, to, I want you to see some of the stuff. And once he saw some of the footage we had done over the year and Henry had put together, and then we had to put a 30 minute uh, kind of sneak peek for the Alamo Draft House for Fantastic Fest. He saw that and realized that we weren't fucking around. Uh, and I was hoping when he saw the documentary, uh, finally, I asked him, I was like, look, I really want you to come to the Egyptian, the big marquee event of Beyond Fest that year. And I asked Fred, I was like, look, um, I really want you to come to the Egyptian and see the movie in, see the doc on, on the screen with a bunch of people in the same room. But if you think you're uncomfortable or didn't you know, serve you well, I will give you a link and you can watch it at home on your computer. But I don't, I, that's not how I want you to experience what, what we have here. I want you to feel it be surrounded by people in this theater. And that's, I prefer that way. And Fred looked at me, we were having tiki drinks. <laughs> and he said, um, I've, I've heard that it's amazing because Shane saw it. <laughs> our publicist gave him the link. 
And their manager, their agent saw it and loved it. And Fred was like, all I've heard is like great stuff. I was like, I'll watch it. And I was like, I really want you to just wait. He goes, and I'll tell you what, I will wait. I will go to the Egyptian and I will bring my wife. I think from what I'm hearing about this movie and she will watch it and she will understand who I am. And I went, wow. uh, that's a lot of pressure. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but no, but uh, it, it I, I really it makes and, sense. He's not wrong. Right. I yeah. Mean- and Fred sat in the Egyptian. There were 600 people in there. And uh, we saw the Monster Squad. Uh, we had a panel and everybody, Fred was overwhelmed with this kind of reception. And then we sat and watched the documentary. And I was afraid everybody's going to leave after Monster Squad screened and no one left. And the place went bonkers. And the lobby was just a zoo of people going, holy shit. And wanting, and just explaining to Fred what this whole thing mean to me. And this doc just summed it up. And um, like he, 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 was didn't know how to articulate his experience then so you know you let it you know kind of um you know absorb for a day or two and then i saw him and um and hopefully the impact that the little bit of selfish me was hoping would hit fred in a certain way to maybe leave that you know kind of bitterness or that resentment behind you know just bury it just let it go let it go to bed it's it's tired let it let it go to bed it's not serving you anymore um, move on and let, let go do awesome shit. Yeah. I, the thing that I think is unfair with box office numbers is it puts someone like Fred Decker in, in writer and director jail. Uh, and that's unfair, uh, not only to Fred, but it's unfair to us because we don't get to see what he would have made. So true. You know, well, there was a lot of cool stuff that he, you know, in his head that he wanted to, he wanted to get done. Agreed. And you, you said something and it made me think about this, you know, when you said, you know, oh, they're here now, where were they then? And it was like, well, they, they were there. They just... Yeah. But the thing is, you know, the movie came out in 1987. We didn't have this. We didn't have the, like, we have this instant, and even in 2006, like, you have this instantaneous connection to everyone. People can start talking. You've got chat rooms. You've got Zoom. Now, I mean, even look at how we connected with you. Facebook message, boom. Hey, Andre. Like, that you know so the people who were there then there was no way to connect and to communicate that how would you, i mean you could write a letter i guess and that's what fred told the fans to do to get the dvd and that's what they did yeah oh my god they yeah the one 60 index card guy oh like, my god sean robert yeah he's uh Love he's, him. he's sean robert is uh, definitely special um adorable and, and and a really cool dude um oh my gosh. but yes i mean i i, I always joke that uh the, i always joke i make the joke with the marketing campaigns that we had kind of you know the, the movie was too uh kid-like for the kids that went to see lost boys because they're cool uh <laughs> and it was too dark and scary as shit for like the super young ones uh so we had this very narrow window um also we had this narrow window that without social media or you know even the internet for everybody to instantly connect yeah. Uh, and, you know, so back in the day, I think we made the first tween movie. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> made the yeah. first tween movie, which now they market to, and it's a whole thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Had, had they known that, and it was a thing back then, I always joke that we would have just wrapped like the summer on Monster Squad 11 Breaking Dawn. It's like <laughs> the Avengers would come out and they'd be like, we don't need the Avengers. Yeah, no. Yeah, we have the Monster we've Squad. We've got Monster, Monster Squad, Squad 7. You know, yeah. we've got Monster Squad 7. The MS um, universe. Yeah. yeah. And, and so. I think that's sort of sort of the story. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just, it's it, it's it's a product of its time. And it's a, it's a casualty of its time. 
But what was the number one movie in 1987? We're not talking about that today. We're talking yeah. about Monster Squad. It's 34 years later. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. So, and I always say I'd much rather be the lead in a movie that didn't do well, but meant so much to a small group of people. And then they found it at the video store, Jackie. They found it on HBO. They passed it around the schoolyard in their cul-de-sac. And they want to talk about it and have me on their, you know, you know, their podcasts 34 years later. Yeah. I'd much rather be a part of something like that than be the lead of the number one movie, the summer of 87 that no one remembers. You, you guys want to have your mind blown real quick. The number one movie in 1987. And Andre, you probably know this, but it's fucking Beverly Hills Cop 2. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Beats out Platoon comes out that year. What? Right. I mean, look, 87 was a good year for movies. Weird yeah. year. <laughs> and the weird thing is, is the trailer for Monster Squad screened before Mr. Mom. Wow. <laughs> oh, so, another know, it's, movie it's, I've it's, seen it's, way it's, too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another another marketing weirdness. Yeah, that's um, a weird choice. Yeah. Marissa, you had a fun question. Okay, so well, first of all, before we go get into the fun question, I, Andre, I just want to say thank you again for coming on. This is just a mind-blowingly cool experience for us. We are such huge fans. You are the coolest ever. I want to have you on again. I'm going to take you up on coming on again. We're going to talk oh, about some sort yeah. of movies. You need to come to the fest for sure. hundred oh, yeah. percent. When, when it's when, in March. Oh, just invite. Me. We'll figure. I know a guy. I'll get in touch. <laughs> yeah, and and thank you for taking the time. Um, obviously, with your recent health issues, the fact that you're taking the time to do this, you're getting back into, you know, everything that's going on. Yeah, real quick, because we, we I, I don't want to feel like I skipped it early. I don't mind talking about it for those of you know your awesome peeps that listen and watch. Uh, I had a heart attack on July third and um, was very close to uh, not seeing July 4th. And, uh, you know, that morning, a lot of things conspired in my, in my favor to make it through. Um, luckily, and then after the fact that I made it through that hour, um, uh, it, you're different, your life has changed, uh, your body's different, uh, you, you now have issues that you definitely have to deal with um, that you can't be like, oh, I'll worry about it later. Um, and so I'm dealing with that now. It's only been two months, um, but each week I feel a little bit better. They say you don't get your energy or your full strength back for about five or six months. So I'm looking forward to that. But like you mentioned, I am, am got to the point where it looks okay. I feel good, uh, been cleared. I get to go and enjoy some stuff in October. So I'm doing a couple of appearances and a couple of conventions uh, like Monster Mania. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm doing um, Fright, Ken Daniels show, Fright Night Film Festival Con in Louisville the first weekend. And Ryan and I are going to Manchester, England for Love of Horror Con, which oh, is a very, nice. very, which is a, it's a big deal. They wanted me to go last year and it got shut down. We wanted to go this year. Um, so that should be awesome. So everything looks good. I feel good. The support and everything, I don't even know how to comment on. It's so surreal and incredible um, that I, I don't even know what to, to do with it. Where can we find you on social media? Where can all the fans kind of stalk you safely? Yeah. <laughs> right, um, safe stalking. Really the, best place, really the best place is on Twitter and Instagram. That's uh, I'm an old. Those are the only ones I'm on. Yeah, um, uh, uh, at Andre Gower on uh, Twitter and at Andre Gower official on Instagram. Uh, please follow at the squad doc and get updates and info, you know, tell, tell us your stories. We give you updates, you know, where it is. And if you haven't seen the doc, you can see it on VOD. 
um, uh, you for digital download or rental uh, in the US and Canada right now. It's uh, international releases coming, uh, hopefully in the Yay. UK first uh, and a couple other countries soon. We had a little bit of a long uh, uh, delay getting this movie out inside industry, you know, shenanigans, BS stuff that's unfortunate, but it's out now. It's about the fans, you know, hopefully so get the word out. And I certainly appreciate you. Let me come on and talk about it um, and, uh, you know, celebrate fans like you and Jackie's story at the, you know, at the video store. That's exactly what it's all about. If you don't know Monster Squad, it doesn't matter. You can still enjoy this doc because it'll connect you to those movies and, and things that you do love. Yeah. Um, oh, you're and... being too kind. If you've never seen Monster Squad and you're listening no. to this and, podcast, and fans, fans of this show, absolutely. <laughs> what are you have, doing? I yeah. have, I'll punch I you in the mouth. I have a bit of an ego, and every year for my birthday, Just, we do goes... a Jackie extravaganza where I pick the movie and force all my friends to watch it. And the very first one we did five years ago was Monster Squad. And so... every year she asks if we could do it again. And we're like, yeah. we already did it. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell t- if, if I'm in it, when's your birthday? July 22nd. July 22nd. Oh, so we just had it. So happy yeah. uh, later, yeah. not too long. Big 4-0. Like I said, I'd love to come back and talk all about that because there's messages and and talking about health, whether you're, you know, uh, you know, a, a guy or a ghoul. And, <laughs> um, you know, so it's a, it's a whole other thing. But I, I you know, it, that's a little depressing. Marissa, you had... You were you were leading oh, to a question. And my we, super, we, my, it's so silly. I it's one a silly one. I know. I always try to try to think of a question that maybe you haven't had a billion times, but you probably have this Got one. It. All right. Okay. So the the universal non universal monster squad guys are coming. You have to fight one monster from the classic canon of of the squad in real life. Now, who do you choose and why? I have to fight. Or you have to fight, fight him. With. Yeah, he's coming to get yeah. you. Either it's you it's, pick a monster, right? Jack or werewolf. You can't. You know, Frank is not going to be as nice because you're not. You weren't nearly as adorable to him as Phoebe was. You have to pick one monster to fight. Who do you fight and why? <laughs> and how? I'm adding. Ooh, that's fair. What do you okay. use? Choose your weapon. Yeah. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein. Oh. Oh. Really? With charm. Oh, and, oh, and we and 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 we become we become friends. My uh-huh. God, more and than friends. friends. <laughs> you know, I am going to put a white streak in my yeah, hair right next here. Next time you see that, us, yeah, that makes Done. a difference. I'll put Fine. that's a mic drop. That wouldn't we can't be weird and awkward at all. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <Hang> Andre. <laughs> yeah. Come on, she's all, all, th- right. all three of you. Yeah, I'm going to I love it. Full gear. I'll just be the monster with the. I dress like that's, this all the time. What are you talking about? I'm always the uh, so okay. So th- that's my answer. Bride of Frankenstein, with charm, yeah. and we ride off together. The, my God, that's credits. a good answer. My goodness, a good rest. Do we have time for one more question? Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. I don't know if I'm gonna come up with a better answer. I know you. Minute. That was your mic job. Like, like, so yeah. Here's here's my question. So okay. Fred Decker calls you tomorrow and says, "Hey." Fandom is going nuts. We're going to remake Monster Squad. Obviously, you're going to be in it, and you have your choice. Which adult character do you play? You can have your choice of any of the adult characters of Monster Squad. He gives you carte blanche. You get to pick, because obviously you're coming back for the remake. Which adult character do you play? Oh, so this is a remake, not a sequel. Yeah, we're going to remake Monster Squad, and he lets you pick which adult character you want to be in the movie. Are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? Are you one of the monsters? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, uh, uh, Del. I'll take okay. Del. 
Okay. Because uh, I think the dad figure was trying. You know, there was a lot I more agree. deeper stuff, like in the in the longer scripts and <laughs> in, in the stories. Uh, or um, it'd be cool to be the mummy. Yeah, oh, the mummy. I I was I trying to give mummy a little credit. I love Gilman, but mummy never gets enough credit, and because he never really did anything. But it was a great. It was a great unravel. It was a great costume. And, I, and I, I have to say so. that like a lot of people would be like, oh, Monster Squad isn't scary. I'm like, okay, two things in Monster Squad that scared the shit out of me when I was little was A, anytime you saw the mummy's face, because he was fucking scary. Was and great, the other moment film. was when Dracula got caught in between being half man <laughs> and half bat when he yes. got shot, like in that transition. That was creepy. It was, that was but that yeah. was gross. I saw um, it. I was the, there. I was, the it was mummy, gross even live. Yes. The mummy's face was always so scary. I don't know yeah. how he doesn't get the credit. He was frightening. I, I think my real answer to your question, if they're remaking it, I don't think, and we're making an appearance, I, I think we should let other people have the, the, the meat of the roles. I think Ryan and I just play the pilots in the airplane. <gasps> oh, I love that so much. No, I riot so outside. So, so, so basically, you're just going to cameo. That's right. I won't allow it. Oh, that would be fantastic. I need you in that drag costume. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> pictured it before. This is the first time. It's too short of a cape, though. It doesn't look good. I'm not as regal as Duncan is. It's just not going to work. Oh, and seriously, and I have said this on the show before, he is one of the scariest oh Dracula. So oh yeah. Not give oh, a he's... fuck about killing kids. No, like, he is a like, sinister, oh, sinister vampire. Boom! Yeah, which I can, I can get behind. Yeah, no, I'm that's gonna fair. blow up your fucking clubhouse. He is one of the scariest Draculas. No offense, Gary Oldman. I love you, Gary. <laughs> but seriously, but also still sexy somehow. His, just saying. Just his Dracula <laughs> was frightening because he didn't give a shit. He didn't care if you were kids. You had the diary. He wanted it. He was like, yeah, no, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you for it. Give it to me. Yeah, I'll take that amulet and I'm going to rip your head off. And then I'm going to expand on your question. I definitely think in a remake, Ryan and I play the airline pilots as a cameo. But then that spins off our own TV show where we are airline pilots that just go around and and and, and transfer bodies, crack lives, and crack Like little random. I love that the plane, the company on the side of the plane was Browning. Browning, yes. I loved it. I loved I'm... that it said Browning on the side of the plane. I thought yeah. that was so cute. Not okay, a lot so of people then, get that, but it's good. So then effectively, <laughs> this is our ghoul talk with Andre part one. Part one, yeah. Part one. Great. You said it. Continued. And Great. and I'm hoping that next time Jackie can actually keep it together. I don't, cry, yeah, I don't think I'll cry herself. next time. Maybe. Uh, Andre and I are friends now and I'm not going to I dress thought Jackie did fine. But I think everybody was great. Aww. Jackie, I appreciate I, I, I appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me to your rad show. And I look forward to coming back. Okay, now I'm going to be all nervous and bad, girly. Thank you. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming out. Make sure, guys, if you have not, check out Wolfman's Got Nards and make sure you are following Andre on all the social medias. And of course, uh, Vanessa, thank you so much, uh, our Georgia ghoul. It just would not be the same without you. We love you. And we look forward to having you again soon. Jackie, take us away. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you so, so much. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, part two coming soon. Don't forget to check us out on social media. You can find Jersey Ghouls on your favorite podcasting app, and you can also check out the website at jerseyghouls.com. Um, this has been like bucket list, and I'm so excited. And thanks for being my new best friend. Um, you have no choice. And I'm not going to show up in a Bride of Frankenstein costume next time. So, well, thank you. And like I said, I can't wait to come back. And Marissa, Vanessa, and Jackie, you're in the goddamn club. 
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.